Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 214 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is March 26th, 2012. We've got a great show for you this week on the Peristyle Podcast. we love to get to your questions. We have a lot of those today. If you have any questions or comments for the show, always feel free to email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. You can call, leave a brief voicemail, 206-888-6755, or leave us a speak pipe message right on peristylepodcast.com. That's our website. Click on the left side of the page, and you can leave a voicemail right there on your computer. Uh, we got Dan Weber coming up a little bit later on. He's going to talk about the USC scrimmage that was held on the Coliseum at the Coliseum on Saturday. And we have Coach Harvey Hyde here in the first segment ready to answer your questions and talk about this USC Trojan football team. Coach, what's going on, sir? How are you? I'm doing great. Actually, fabulous. I, I love it. The day after it rains, everything is so clear and beautiful. We're supposed to have great weather this week, which means there'll be great practices out at Howard Jones Field. And then uh, another big scrimmage on Saturday. And this time on Saturday, I'll be able to be there. I missed last Saturday because I had to be out of town. And that really bothered me. Well, what can I do? What can I do? I can't be everywhere, but uh, I will be this Saturday watching the scrimmage. I understand the scrimmage, uh, Ryan, had a lot of people uh, missing because of track and field and some hamstrings uh, and little tic-tac injuries where they certainly didn't want to take any chances. Certainly not, Coach. And it was it was less of a scrimmage and more like a regular practice. And uh, there was only two scholarship wide receivers available. There were no scholarship tight ends available. Only a couple of uh, running backs, as you know, but then they moved Trey Madden over, so that helped with the depth there. But, yeah, it was different. Marquise Lee, who would have got plenty of work, uh, actually won the long jump at USC's home track meet, which was you know, not that far away. It was held at uh, Cromwell Field over on the USC campus. So he was out. You know, George Farmer still coming back. But we should see a lot of guys coming back this week, Coach, and I think the, the weather will help. It was We got lucky. A lot of rain on Sunday, tons of rain on Sunday, no rain on Saturday, so it was nice for the scrimmage. And then hopefully it'll be nice again, like you said, this week, and a lot of the players will be coming back from injury, so it'll be a little bit easier to evaluate what's going on this week when they're Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday practices. You know, when you think about an athlete, when you talk about Marquise Lee, can you imagine him? Now, you know he's not spending a lot of time practicing for track, but he went out there and went 23-11 and a half to win that. I mean, that's unbelievable. If he just concentrated on track alone, he'd be at 25 feet. He really would be. He'd be, I'm not saying Olympic at a long jumper. I don't know what that is, but he is a tremendous athlete. And I'll tell you that, that is tremendous that Lane Kiffin is doing that to help Ron Alice with uh, the athletes that are going out there and assisting him. I think didn't uh, Tony Burnett run over there too and finish second in the long or the triple jumps at 49 something. Yeah. Tony Burnett, the, actually, Lee and Tony Burnett were the only ones that kind of missed practice for that, and Burnett kind of went back and forth. Uh, DJ Morgan ended up deciding he's going to stay and, uh, and and do running back, you know, do his running back duty. Same thing with Nikel Roby; they didn't run their 
their relay, the, the four of those guys doing their relay. So, but they, you know, they did get the jump. And like you said, Tony Burnett and Marcus Lee both did really well. They really did, man. And whenever you can help the USC pro- programs, other sports and so on, and you can score points. And uh, when spring ball's over with, these guys will go to invitationals and go to the Pac-12 meet and compete in the UCLA dual meet and all that. That just brings a lot of points and everything means so much today in uh, athletics that I think it's great because I think it brings the sports together where they're closer and they unite themselves where they support each other on and off the field and in the classrooms and everything they do. So I love to see athletes doing that, playing baseball and and, and playing other sports or high jumping or whatever sport they, they can contribute points to other programs. I think it brings the coaching staffs more together. Everything is so individualized today that it brings the coaching staffs together. It brings the athletic department more together. I remember I used to take the entire football team right after practice if they were having a water polo match or something. We'd go over to the pool and we'd stand around the pool and cheer for our, our school's uh, a water polo team or, or whatever. Just all that together brings unity within a athletic department. I think that's really great that Lane Kiffin has allowed these athletes to do that. I agree, Coach, and it's actually a great segue to our first question. It wasn't going to be our first question, but I think it will be now. Uh, before we jump into that, I wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. You can go to sctickets.com and check them out. They've been helping us out on the show for the last three years. It's been great, so go over there. Ask for Curtis. Give him a call, 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for anything. Uh, check them out. we got baseball season starting up, so that should be good. A lot of Halo fans out there with uh, – El Hombre now on the team and, and the Dodgers with hopefully some new ownership here pretty soon. So a lot of interesting stuff going on in Southern California. Check that stuff out. And uh, Coach, the the question we got was from Rob in Redondo Beach. He's USC class of 96. And I'll, I'll read what he said. He says, I'm a regular listener to the podcast. You mentioned in earlier podcast that USC couldn't hide football scholarships by putting a player on track or baseball scholarship so it doesn't count against the 75 total team scholarships. The reason you cited was basketball track are, con- are constituted as lesser quote-unquote sports. What decides what a lesser sport is for a particular school? Criteria. What about a school like the University of Kentucky or Indiana where both the traditional basketball schools who said Kentucky couldn't hide basketball scholarships by placing them on football? And what about Ohio State and Michigan State? Are they considered both traditional football and basketball powerhouse schools? Who decides what the criteria is to whether a scholarship counts against football or basketball total. And that's uh, Rob in Redondo Beach. And like we were talking about Marquis Lee, he's on a football scholarship and compete for track. It couldn't work the other way around. He couldn't have a track scholarship and play football. That's exactly right. And who determines that? I'm not quite sure who determines that. I think it's the same, though, in every sport. I think that the NCAA says that if you're a Division One school, uh, the major sport, which is football, is you can you can you can uh, participate in football beyond athletic scholarship in football and still compete in track, but you can't do it track-wise to football, and and I, because it's an unfair advantage, I think a lot uh, for schools that don't have the number of scholarships that a lot of schools have. Like SE does have the full amount of scholarships, and some of these other schools do have the budget to have a full amount of scholarships for their track and field programs. So they could put all the sprinters, all the fast guys, receivers, running backs, and so on, they could put them all on track scholarships. And uh, they could run or play football, and they really wouldn't emphasize the track program as much. 
what they would run track and field, but their main emphasis would be football and would put them above the 85 limits as far as scholarships that are allowed. But you can have a pretty good track team if you have 10 or 12 great sprinters uh, on your track and field team or shot putter that's a tackle or discus thrower on your track and field programs that when they don't count against football. So everything counts against football, and then, of course, you can participate in the other sports, but you can't do it vice versa. And I think that's the way they interpret it and why. Yeah, and Coach, I, I think this is probably my fault, Rob. I didn't mean to call, and I don't think, I hope I didn't, but I'm not calling basketball a lesser, quote-unquote, lesser sport. Uh, but if you look at the whole overall picture, like Coach said, football is, is the king. It's the number one, and it's because there's, the, in my opinion, it's because they have the most scholarships. Uh, they have 85, where basketball has, I, is it 13 or 15 or something? It's definitely a lesser number of scholarships. You could have a football player playing on the basketball team on a football scholarship. I don't think you could do it the other way around. If a basketball player started playing tight end on the football team and you know he comes in as a freshman on a basketball scholarship and he starts playing tight end for football, he would count towards football. I think there's some rule where if he plays basketball for two years, then maybe he can come over and still count for basketball. Something along those lines. Uh, but both of those sports are fully, uh, you have full amount of scholarships. Every guy on the team can have a scholarship. Track, baseball, sports like that, there's a lot of partial scholarships. You can't give a partial basketball scholarship or a partial football scholarship. If you're on scholarship for football, it's full scholarship. Where track, they have to split them up. Baseball especially, I mean, they have a very few. I think it's like 12 and a half or 13, something like that, where you have star pitchers that you know can go to the the major leagues and they only have like a 75% percent scholarship, something along those lines. And t- tennis, all those sports don't, they're not fully funded, I guess you could say, where everyone on the team has a full scholarship. So I think it's just, if you're in football and you're going to play football and you want to try to play another sport, you count towards football. Same thing with basketball, unless you're going to try to play football too. So like football's one, basketball's two, and then kind of everything else underneath that, At least that's my understanding, coach. No, that's what it is, and that's what it's all about. Say you have a track and field program, uh, you can't get away with that at SC because track and field is important at SC. But if you're down at one of the, if you're at a school where track and field is maybe secondary, well, you load it up with football kids and put them on track and field scholarships, and they play football, whatever the number of scholarships they have in track and field. Then they go and run track and field too, and throw the shot and do what they have to do. They're good enough athletes to compete, like. Lee and some of these, so, uh, but you get an extra advantage on the football field, and that's why it's designed that way. Yeah, it's, it, so I mean, I would basically say the pecking order is because the one number of scholarships and two, they're all full scholarships as opposed to a bunch of partials. So that's kind of what the the pecking order is there, Rob. It's not how popular the team is or anything like that. We're not we're not trying to demean the other sports. There is just how the NCAA looks at where you could quote-unquote, hide players or not. I mean, if you want to have a great, I guess, Coach, if you want to have a great track and field program, you could hide a whole bunch of guys on football scholarships that aren't very good at football, but they're great at track, and they could all just run track where you had hammer throwers and all kinds of stuff and and really compete. Because it is hard for, especially a school like USC, Coach, that doesn't, I mean, it's an expensive school. If you have guys that are getting half scholarships, it costs a lot more to be on a half scholarship at USC than it would at UCLA, for example. Um, I guess if you really wanted to not have a great football program and and f- have football fund all of your other kind of secondary sports or Olympic sports, things like that, you could probably do that. 
Yeah, you're exactly right. And Ron Alice does such a great job at that because Essie has never really, for a long period of time, back to when Jess Hill was around and so on, never emphasized track and field as far as a dual meet team. But Ron Alice has been able to bring it back to compete in a dual meet. And that's almost impossible to do with the number of scholarships that you have in track and field to get the number of athletes to compete against a UCLA or some of these other schools that they compete against. It's absolutely impossible because of the tuition cost. Ron Alice has like 140 kids out for track and field. 140, can you believe that? He has more kids out for track and field in both sports, men and women, than any other sport on campus. Wow. Yet he has one of the smallest number of scholarships between men and women totally because he has so many walk-ons that come on and compete and then when he can get a high jumper or get a sprinter or get somebody from another sport if you remember a couple of years ago he got a basketball player that went out there and high jumped for him and scored in the Pac-12 meet of the UCLA meet I can't remember who it was when USC beat UCLA in a dual meet so he does such a tremendous job with such a limited amount of scholarships because of the cost of the tuition at USC and what he has, and to be able to have championship dual meet teams are, are unbelievable. And he's had great success recently against UCLA and dual meets uh, against the, the Bruins. So I think that's what it's all about. And, and by the way, I wanted to mention this, Southern California tickets. I was in Vegas this weekend, as I mentioned before, uh, he got me six tickets to Rod Stewart. Now, I'm going to tell you, Rod Stewart was absolutely fantastic at Caesars. So if you're up uh, going to Las Vegas and you want to see Rod Stewart, it's great. Call Southern California Ticket Service in Pasadena. All right. Great stuff there. Well, uh, let's move on, Coach. Uh, David, who's helped us out, I, I forgot to mention this in the last show. We did have one emailer that uh, didn't like my little intro where I say hello Trojan fans and uh, I'm not claiming to have some great radio voice or anything I've been doing this because I enjoy doing it but so many people wrote in that were like no keep doing it keep doing it so everyone seems to love that intro uh, but we will try to make it uh, I tried to play with the buttons a little bit and David wrote in and tried to help me a little bit using uh, we got we have a huge studio here coach of course and we got millions of little knobs and buttons all over the place so I need to like turn the right knobs and make sure it sounds okay so I think we, we've played with that a little bit hope you guys enjoy it but uh, thanks to David for the help there. But he wanted to write in about the NCAA talk. And we do talk, especially with Dan Weber, there, there ends up being a topic sometimes about the NCAA. Some people are sick of hearing about it. They want to move on. Some people don't like the injustice and they like to talk about it. But we do get a ton of questions about it. So it's hard to ignore, even though some people would like us to ignore it. But David had a, an interesting quote here I wanted to share with you. He said, don't underestimate the satisfaction of overcoming the sanctions and winning games that the experts expect us to lose. What better way to find the character of who these young men are than to give them something to overcome? And he really feels like the sanctions, even though they're unfair, has made this team stronger. Maybe we want to get your thoughts on that, Coach. Well, you know, you hate to have any sanctions whatsoever. We've discussed that enough. But I think it does test your character. It does. You turn a negative into a positive. You do that a lot. and You get the guys that really want to be a part of your program. Some of the guys that transferred, it was good for them to transfer because they weren't good enough to play at USC, and it gives them an opportunity to go somewhere else. And kids that are not adapting to USC as far as academically or athletically, if they have problems, it's a good way of saying saying uh, goodbye and have a mutual agreement where there's no hard feelings. So 
I think SC has done such a wonderful plan, a wonderful job of the adaption to the sanctions and what the NCAA tried to do, which is bury them. And I think only a Trojan family like USC is, could have overcome anything like this. I mean, it's absolutely amazing what they've been able to overcome. In fact, you know, I think it taught the NCAA a lesson. They know, they know the penalties they gave USC were were too harsh. They know that. They know Paul D. did everything. It was wrong. They know that. But they know USC can overcome it, and it will save them a bunch of embarrassment that they have uh, done something wrong and unfair. I really believe this. I really believe that if they have any brains at all, they know they were too harsh on USC. Why? Because the future of the NCAA is 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 part of the name schools Ohio State, Oregon, USC, North Carolina, Miami, Florida, Auburn, Alabama, as far as these huge television contracts. If they'd have given Ohio State and if they'd give Oregon and they gave North Carolina the same penalties they gave USC, they wouldn't have any product to put and sell to their to their television markets that they're all having their own now affiliates and all these things they're doing. And television would say, wait a minute, we're paying you millions of dollars and half of the biggest names in the NCAA can't even play. But if you do notice that they gave SC every single penalty they could have, but did they take them off of TV? No, they didn't take them off of TV and say you can't be on television for two years. Why? Because it puts money in their pocket. People want to watch USC. They're very popular nationally. Plus, they want to see how they can compete with these type of sanctions. So it's a popular thing. So they don't do that. The NCAA made a huge mistake, what they did to USC. A huge mistake. They wouldn't change it. They wouldn't change uh, the appeal or anything, but they've learned they can't continue doing that, and that's why these other universities are getting lighter penalties. They can't do what they did to USC and stay in business. No, I agree, Coach, And uh, but I wanted to just share that along from David. I thought it was some, some good insight there. Uh, let's move on. We have a question from, this is from Megan, and uh, Megan's uh, wrote in before, uh, this is actually a speak pipe question, so it's a voicemail question. I wanted to, We love to have the female listeners. We love the international listeners. Any uh, female listeners, Coach, for the next week, if they send us a voicemail question on the phone line or on speak pipe, we're going to send them a free T-shirt. So, Megan, write in to me, and I'll send you a free T-shirt. And, Coach, here's what uh, Megan's question was right here for you. Hi, Ryan. It's Megan. Um, go Trojans. I just have a question. I've been looking online. Um, I just can't find anywhere where it says how many red shirts that the Trojans are allowed to have um, per season. It would be great if you could tell me um, how many red shirts per season um, the team's allowed to have. So it would be great. Thank you. Bye. Well, that's a good question, Megan, and thank you very much. And uh, wear your T-shirt with pride. Uh, there isn't a number. You can redshirt as many student-athletes as you want, as long as your numbers stay within a certain number as far as the total numbers, and now SC's is 75. I used to want to try to redshirt as many freshmen as I could uh, when it gives them a year to mature 
athletically. It gives them a year to mature and get ahead academically, and it almost ensures them that they're going to graduate from college. Uh, the only thing about redshirting players when they're young, if they sustain an injury along the way, then they will have to not have an automatic redshirt year, but they have to appeal it and ask for that extra year of eligibility, which in most cases, if it's a serious situation, they will give you an additional year. They've done that all the time. So, uh, no, there isn't a limit on how many athletes that you uh, can redshirt. You want to try to redshirt as many athletes as you can. As you can. Today it's difficult, though, when you get the premier athlete, the five-star athlete. They want to get into school. They want to play when they're young because sitting out costs them money. But they still have to practice. They still have to do what they have to do. And they want to get on the field. They want to get their stats up. They want to compete. And if they can, and I don't like using this term come out early because I really don't like that, athletes being able to come out early. I think you ought to stay for the full term and go there like Matt Barkley did and do what you need to do like Peyton Manning did and others. Uh, I'd like to, you know, see them that be accomplished. So uh, uh, redshirting is something that's good. It's always been good, but it's hard to do now with some of the premier athletes because they want to get on the field and they're all looking to play on Sunday. All right. Well, thanks for that one, Megan. Let's see. Let's go to uh, Melvin. He has a question. In view of what has happened in the NFL New Orleans Saints bounty issue, do you think USC and all major college football programs uh, teams should encourage knocking or, or do you think all college football teams, excuse me, encourage knocking players out of the game? I'm not inferring money rewards at all. Are they put in a position where they look to knock people out of the game just for the verbal reward coming from a coach or that recognition or maybe more playing time? That's from Melvin. Well, you know, I don't mean to sound like I'm barbaric, but football's a tough game. And you play tough guys. And tough guys play against each other. And it's a prideful challenge to whip somebody's you-know-what. Physically as well as team score-wise. And to talk about taking someone out, it's the bounty they put on it, the media, these terms, I think are ridiculous. I mean, if there's dirty play, then that's ridiculous. Dirty play is, is not the game. But toughness and aggressiveness within the structure of the rules, I think, are fair game on both sides of the football. If you make a great play, I think that's going to be hard not to give a big salute to or jump up and down to celebrate or get excited as a defensive sideline or an offensive sideline or a coach jumping up in the air and chest-butting someone. That's what the game is about. And if you haven't played the game, you don't understand the game. And, you know, a lot of times these guys that write articles have never played the game. They don't understand what it is to work out 12 months a year or have 15 hours, if you're lucky, if you go all the way, or 12 hours to demonstrate your skills and how many plays you get and how you want to really stand out and the pride you have in the position you play, whether it's a block or a tackle or a catch or a touchdown run. It's all part of the game. As far as in college, do you have 
brownies? Do you have pools? No. I've never in my 25 years of coaching heard of a college team saying, all right, we're going to put 50 bucks on somebody to knock somebody out. No, but I have heard this, that, hey, this week we got to really play hard in that quarterback. we got to put a rush on him, and we got to get to him. Now, is that dirty when you say you got to get to him? Heck no, you got to get to him to win the football game. And Or if you play an option team and you say on this week's game plan, you, your outside linebacker, defensive, and you got the quarterback every single play. If he comes towards you, don't worry about the dive. Don't worry about the pitch. You go into him, you hit him high, you wrap your arms every single play. So he knows the quarterback knows before he's going to even run that play, I'm going to either give it to the dive back or I'm going to pitch it because I know I'm going to get smacked. So you predetermine things, and you do play that way. It's part of game planning. It's not dirty football. Now, if somebody is sparing someone or someone is intentionally doing a chop block on someone or crack back low to take somebody's knees, that's ridiculous. He should be tossed out of the game. But fair football, hard-nosed football, getting after someone, if you're an athlete that's listening today, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're a basketball player that played, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Blocking out. Be physical. Go to the boards. All of this stuff, these terms are used commonly. In every contact sport, even if it's not a contact sport, blocking out, take a charge. You think it's easy to take a charge? Stand there, be a man, be a woman, let them run over you, take a charge. And then everybody jumps up and they're excited about it. So it's part of competing. So, you know, bounties, no. Playing great football, yes. Being aggressive, yes. Playing, uh, Within the structures of the rules, yes. But remember, don't play the sport if you don't understand what it's all about. And that's where I, that's where I explain it. And a lot of people that haven't played the game don't understand it. A lot of pride in being the best at what you do. Great stuff, Coach. Well, we appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all the insights, answering everyone's questions. We had some interesting ones. So it's a wide range of uh, questions today. It was cool to to talk about a few different topics there no i i enjoy talking about about these things because you know sometimes every time you read an article in the newspaper that's one thing about we i call reporting or listening to people talk they convince people so much of and everyone believes in what they're writing and sometimes these guys really don't say it the way it really is and the way it really is if you played against Butkus, do you think Butkus wasn't trying to take you out of the game or some of these players? They were trying to nitschke. I'll go through some of these guys. I mean, Malaluga, some of these guys that played, they're not dirty football players, but they are football players. And you got to understand that football players have to be a different breed of person because they're actually gladiators when you look at it. They compete, they compete, they compete, and everything means so much to them. So 
That's it for another week. And again, uh, I want to thank you for the opportunity of being on your show. And I and I look forward to next week after I watch the scrimmage. Thanks, Coach, so much. It's uh, always great to have you and get all your insights on what's going on. We're uh, we'll appreciate that. We appreciate that, and we'll talk to you next week. And everyone else, hey, we're back back in thirty seconds. We're going to talk with Dan Weber. We'll get his thoughts on the scrimmage, and he's got even more questions to answer about this USC football team. Got a lot of questions this week, so we'll try to get to each and every one of them. Stay tuned. Thirty seconds from now. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We have Dan Weber on the line, uscfootball.com beat writer. What's going on, Dan? How are you? Hey, pretty good. Going to into week three, and uh, hopefully... Uh, a whole bunch of guys uh, are, are back this week uh, for practice. I know uh, Lane Kiven was saying uh, as he went down the list of guys who weren't there, weren't able to go Saturday. For most of them, he was saying things like, uh, "I think he'll be back Tuesday." I think he'll be back Tuesday. So, kind of looks like that. That's the uh, the date that they've kind of got in their mind that uh, they they would get three full weeks then of uh, of spring ball, which is a a pretty good amount. Uh, to finish up the spring. So uh, Tuesday ought to be uh, interesting to see how many of the guys uh, are able to get back. Yeah, we'll, we'll see that. And I want to talk about the scrimmage a little bit, but let's, uh, I wanted to jump into a few questions first before we kind of get going here. We had a, uh, I think a lot of people were asking about an update for this, but here is a question from Tim. Hey, Ryan, it's Tim. A question for you. I know you don't want to beat the NCAA thing to death, but any news on what's going on with Todd McNair? I thought they were supposed to have responded by now, but it seems like it keeps getting delayed and delayed. So I wonder if there's anything coming out there or you're hearing anything about a settlement. Thanks. Uh, Tim, uh, from what we understand, obviously it certainly looks like the NCAA doesn't really want to go anywhere with this case, uh, as you can imagine. And, uh, I think it, it took them a long time to come up with a judge, and they, you know, kept, uh, you know, uh, arguing about judges. Then uh, I think they've, they've got a judge, got a, you know, everything is assigned, and I think the NCAA most recent uh, motion is they want the case thrown out because uh, they, they should be on, on the grounds that they were governed by free speech and that they're allowed to say pretty much anything they want to say about Todd McNair, for example. Now, you know, I'm not a lawyer, but that just sounds silly, but um, uh, I think they have to hear it, and I think that's the next thing. I think that it's scheduled in April. Uh, we're going to try to get a <clears> – <throat> because so little has happened that, of substance, just an awful lot of procedural things that have been going on kind of, you know, out, outside the radar. And, and Todd's lawyers aren't, aren't people who believe in trying cases in, in the media. Uh, 
but we're going to try to get an update on that on that this week because it does look like uh, as we get into April that there will be some actual uh, uh, you know a hearing and uh, some actual uh, things take place in court. Uh, but but my guess is the longer the NCA can stretch this out, the longer they can push and hope that uh, they don't really have to you know come into a courtroom and say okay, this is exactly what we did, and this is exactly why we did it, and this is the evidence we used, they're, they're figuring they're to the good uh, as long as they can hold it off. So, so uh, that's kind of where it is. Nothing but procedural stuff and uh, a very little substance at this point and uh, what seems to be a delaying game that they're playing. All right. Uh, sounds good. Thanks, Tim, for that one, and thanks for the update, Dan. Let's go. How about Bruce? Uh, he's from the class of... 1973 in Reno, Nevada, and wants to know, how does Trey Madden's emergence as a legitimate contender for playing time at tailback affect the likelihood of incoming freshman Nelson Aguilar's competing for the position in the fall in view of the projected depth existing at wide receiver? Is it now more probable that Aguilar will redshirt? Well, I don't think so. I don't don't know that any decision like that is even... uh you know, you'd be just flipping coins or, or, or taking a guess. It's just so hard hard to know. We asked uh, Kennedy Palomalu about, you know, pretty much the same question, how does this affect uh, Nelson in terms of running back? And he said, I don't think it affects him at all. I think Nelson's going to be a specialist. Uh, and I think there'll be a place for, uh, for Nelson uh, to do three or four different things. And uh, I just think that, in their minds, they have uh, kind of a, a role uh, set up for, for Nelson that uh, they're going to give him a chance to do, you know, three or four different things. And uh, uh, I think, for example, like, uh, you know, Amir Carlisle last year, I, I, I think, you know, they just had a, a sense that there might be this or that or, or something else that he could do. And, and, and I didn't think they ever really thought of, of uh, redshirting Amir and uh, I don't think they're going to redshirt uh, uh, Nelson. I'd be surprised. I think I guess it's always a chance, and injuries play into that. But uh, I think they want to get him on the field. I just think he's the kind of uh, you know the kind of first-year kid with leadership, kind of special you know leadership abilities, and uh, you know kind of one-of-a-kind uh, ability with uh, you know with the football in his hand, athletically. Uh, where you think as a freshman you're better off uh, getting him on the field uh, and seeing what he can do and giving him a chance to, to do what he can do. So I, I, I don't think the uh, Trey Madden uh, move, it may impact other things that USC does, and it may impact just in general how they look at their offense um, and game planning and, and things like that. But I don't think, I don't think it impacts Nelson. Okay, great stuff there. Yeah, it's uh, – and- if you remember, they talk about wide receiver depth. There was only two scholarship wide receivers on Saturday. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of depth there. Yeah, I think Nelson gives them uh, the kind of luxury that a 75 scholarship team needs. It's the kind of luxury that, say, Abe uh, Markowitz gives them. It's the kind of luxury that Trey Madden gives them. Uh, and I think, you know, you're going to look here, there, and, and a number of places, and you're going to say, well, okay, that guy can play a couple of places, and that guy can play a couple of places. I don't think it's you know all that unusual that with Hunter Simmons returning as a as a walk on fullback, who had really gotten a lot of uh, 
practice, uh, 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 you know, time uh, before, uh, he comes back and this spring, and right away they've got him a tight end. And uh, it reminds you of Ross Cumming, uh, who, you know, last year, uh, you know, a walk-on who really had, you know, knew what he was doing and a tough kid. And, uh, you know, who, who they took from linebacker to tight end to fullback and really contributed by the end of the year and played, you know, made a lot of plays and did a lot of stuff. I think you're going to see more multiple position guys. Uh, and I think it's going to, it's not only going to be necessary, but I think it's going to be really valuable. I, I think it will not be surprising to see people uh, uh, utilized who can uh, play more than one position. All right, let's move on. This one's from Rob. It's uh, This question we got over SpeakPipe, so if you don't know what that is, you can go to peristylepodcast.com and on the left side of the page, just click on that, and you can leave us a voice message right on your computer, and that's uh, what Rob did. Here you go. Hello, Ryan. This is Rob in Santa Clara, California. I just had a question about Lane Kiffin's throwing ability. I understand he used to be a quarterback at Fresno State, and we know that Pete Carroll used to throw the football around, and he had a pretty decent arm. Just wondering if you can comment, or Dan can comment, on Coach Kiven's, Kiven's throwing ability. Can he bring it or not? Thanks. Bye. That's interesting, Ross. Uh, uh, you know, Pete was so visible. He had so much fun doing it. And I thought, you know, threw the ball better than a former safety uh, should have ever thrown it. I, I thought, you know, that they made a mistake with Pete. And, uh, he probably should have been playing some kind of a, you know, a quarterback with the, when they moved the pocket and what have you, because uh, uh, unless he, you know, didn't throw the ball when he was in high school, but he could throw it really well. We've hardly ever seen Lane throw the ball. The, the only thing you see Lane do, Lane is a, serious runner and and you're liable to see him in the morning at night uh you know uh, you know running uh doing his long you know his long distance running he does work out uh with the you know with the kids uh, when they're you know doing the weights and that but we've almost never seen him throw football i think i maybe one time uh i've seen him throw the football and uh you know i know he was stuck between two uh NFL first round draft picks at you know at Fresno, <clears throat> but uh, but there might have been a reason why he uh, when he was a senior chose to become a graduate assistant coach. Uh, uh, you know, I just uh, uh, Pete loved to throw the football. I don't get the feeling that like throwing a football was one of the great things uh, uh, Lane wanted to do in his lifetime. I think Lane was Lane was thinking about being a coach. I think for for a long, long time. So I, I think Lane, uh, when you see Lane out there, he looks like a coach. He looks like he's thinking, thinking, thinking. Uh, and uh, uh, but nobody had more fun throwing the ball than Pete. Uh, and he's amazingly, <laughs> he had a, he had a, he's one of those guys I think who got better as he got older and worked at it. And uh, uh, he was shockingly. Uh, good had a, you know, shockingly good ability to throw the ball at his age. I, I thought he was uh, pretty amazing. Yeah, it was, it's funny that you, I, I, it was a good question because we didn't think about it much. Pete Carroll was always throwing the football around. He would do defensive back drills, whatever he needed to do to get in there. And Lane Kiffin's definitely more—he'll run around, but he's not—he's not playing the game like 
it looked like Pete Carroll was. You do see him running around campus. He likes to go for those runs. Pete Carroll was big on those uh, noon basketball games in the line basketball. center. I don't know if, yeah. uh, if Lane's doing that. But what's interesting, Dan, you brought this up at practice one day. Working out with the wide receivers, T. Martin is throwing the football to them. How important is that? You have a national championship quarterback now being able to throw footballs during these position drills to the wide receivers. Well, there's an interesting quote. It'll be going up this afternoon in, in uh, Johnny Friedman's quote book uh, from uh, Victor Blackwell about what that's like. Uh, and he uses an interesting word. He said, Coach Martin brings the swag with him every day for the wide receivers. And he does have a, a, a swag kind of. Uh, so you've got your, you know, uh, uh, BCS championship quarterback uh, uh, throwing the ball uh, to guys who are having to make cuts for him. And, uh, it really does seem to uh, increase their focus on uh, footwork and, and speed of cuts and things like that when you know the guy's throwing you the ball and watching that cut and depending on you being where you're supposed to be is not only uh, you know a guy who was a pretty darn good quarterback, but he's also your coach. And uh, it's, uh, it's kind of fun to watch. Uh, you know, everybody does things, all the coaches, as, as you see one after another come through and different positions that do things differently, but it's kind of interesting to watch these wide receivers interacting with, with their new coach who just happens to also be a quarterback. And he does like throwing the football. It's kind of fun. And coach Clay Helton is now throwing the quarterback is throwing the ball more. And, uh, cause they're doing more things like having them throw the ball into the bucket, for example, into a big, uh, in a garbage can, let's say that they'll put on a pylon and throw it from 30 yards away or whatever where they're working on kind of jump ball situations where they're going to allow, uh, say, a Marquise Leach to come back to the football and beat, uh, you know, a defensive back who's trying to, you know, stay with him. And, and uh, so they're working on some different things. But the other day when they set it up, the only guy that threw it into the bucket was Coach Helton. So we haven't seen him throw it as much. So maybe there's kind of a, a renaissance in the assistant coaches throwing the ball anyway. But uh, – Lane is more of a solitary kind of a, 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 a athlete. He's more, as, as Ryan said, he more you'll see him around campus. But he, when he's on the field, he's uh, he's thinking about all the coaching stuff that's going on, uh, and not so much um, uh, doing one thing or another. It, it, it's a it's a different approach from Pete, and it's interesting. Here he is, you know, Pete's uh, godchild, and you know, grew up uh, around Pete, but he, that doesn't mean he, he does things like Pete did. Uh, they, they're pretty much their own individuals. All right, let's see. Let's move on. we got a couple more, and then we're going to talk about the scrimmage a little bit. Uh, let's go to Melvin, who wants to know, during spring practice, how much time is being devoted to stopping the quote-unquote spread offense used by teams, for example, Oregon? I don't think anything specific. I think it's mostly uh, movement in space and moving together and uh, getting off the mark. Uh, you notice, for example, that when they have the first uh, first group in there with uh, Lamar Dawson in the middle now, and uh, you know flanked by Hayes Pollard and, and Deion Bailey, it just looks like they're quicker off the mark when they react to different things uh, and. Uh, uh, where Lamar, for example, now you can appreciate his ability to run plays down in that, which they always knew he had and they always loved so much. But very often, you know, last year he was thinking, or in the fall, thinking about, okay, what's my move on this play? What? And then he got going. 
and he didn't always get that big jump. Well, now you see him getting the same jump as Dion and, and Hayes on plays and that. So I think that's more what they're doing is working on recognition, and then they're working on, you know, the basic uh, shedding and, uh, and, and getting to the, you know, and running the ball carrier down uh, kind of drills. They are also, I think, probably working a little bit more on, on maybe some blitzes and things that we haven't seen before. Uh, but uh, as far as specifically working on, on stopping a, you know, a particular spread, I don't think that's the case. I think it's just more basically fundamentally sound uh, you know, defense where you can play it uh, sideline to sideline and play it at full speed. And that's, uh, you know, that's what they're going to do, say, with Scott Starr in terms of uh, getting him ready to play there you know, in the middle. Uh, and I think that's what they like with Anthony Soraya, uh, his ability to play uh, uh, side to side laterally and his ability to tackle in space. Uh, I think that if you get those things right, uh, you've got a really good you know, shot at, at stopping the spread. Uh, it's basically doing a lot of things fundamentally well and doing them really fast. Okay, one last one. That's uh, Nick Henry. He's a USC freshman. Thanks for listening, Nick. Uh, we love it when the students are on the podcast. He says, hey, guys, I'm a huge fan of the podcast. I was just wondering, whatever happened to T.J. Bryant? Did he ever transfer? Is he still enrolled here at USC? Thanks. Let me know. And that's from Nick, like I said. Uh, our understanding is that T.J. was finishing up uh, uh, his degree. And the goal was for T.J. to be able to graduate this spring and then at that point, uh, be able, he's got a year left of eligibility uh, because of uh, injury redshirt. And then to transfer, uh, if he's got his degree, he could transfer anywhere and pretty much play. Uh, if he doesn't finish up his degree in the spring, then he would probably, he would have to transfer. Uh, well, <laughs> I, I'm, I don't want to sound too sarcastic. I guess he could transfer to Notre Dame and play right away. But uh, otherwise, he'd have to transfer to someplace like Delaware or Villanova or uh, Georgia, you know, Southern or, one, uh, you know, a division, uh, uh, as they call it, the, uh, the football championship at the FCS, uh, you know, division, uh, and still be able to play right away. But, but that's my understanding is that he, uh, he plans to play next year. And uh, originally they were, they were talking about uh, at the next level down, I don't know where that stands right now. If he gets his degree, would he uh, possibly go, you know, to a, uh, you know, uh, the bowl, uh, the FBS, the football bowl subdivision, which is the major, major group. Uh, uh, don't know that. Uh, but he certainly seemed like he was on track to, to graduate this spring. Yeah, we haven't really seen him around or anything. Um, I don't know if you've seen him, Dan, but I haven't seen him around. He's I not, haven't. Like, no, I have not. Yeah, so we'll see what happens. We'll try to get you an update with that too. But yeah, that's that was the latest that we've heard. So, you know, wish him the best of luck. We'll see what where he ends up going. Hopefully, he can graduate and move on and get that one more year. Uh, well, Dan, I wanted to talk about the scrimmage a little bit on Saturday. I want to say scrimmage. It uh, it didn't turn out to be a, a full on scrimmage, but it was a long. Pra- I mean, they were out there a long time. It was almost like a regular normal practice, and then kind of an extended team period at the end they did some team periods even during the beginning but tried to make it scrimmage like there was full contact you saw a lot of big hits and tackles but uh, there weren't any scholarship tight ends there were only two scholarship wide receivers and 
to me, I, it looked like on offense there was 14 guys because it seemed like every time they'd line up, there's two or three coaches running up yeah. to the line and moving this walk-on tight end here or pushing this walk-on wide receiver over there, just trying to get set up for the offense. It looked a little uh, discombobulated, I guess you could say. Uh, I think the thing that they wanted to do a couple of things. I think they really wanted to give uh, uh, Cody Kessler and Max Wittig a chance to uh, uh, just get a feel of where they are uh, from for their you know perspective and for the coaches to take a look at them. I think they got that done for sure. I think they got a real good sense of that. Uh, I think they got a good sense of Andre Walker at, at left tackle. I think they, they saw that Abe Markowitz is, you know, is, is more than capable of handling the center spot without uh, Callan Holmes in there. I think they, you know, they got to like that. Uh, you know, they had another really, you know, I think, uh, again, uh, Barkley and, uh, and, uh, and Curtis McNeil, I think, are basically, uh, you know, doing cameo roles uh, at this point in time, uh, you know, Saturday, and maybe really for the rest of the spring, because I think right now, uh, you want to see, uh, you know, D.J. Morgan and uh, Trey Madden, uh, you know, get a lot of work, and they certainly did. Uh, I thought, you know, I thought that's as good as I've ever seen D.J., uh, you know, all the things that he did, you know, and running, you know, hard and running down the sideline and, and getting into that, you know, last gear and uh, catching the ball and, 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 you know, protecting the ball, doing all those kinds of things, I think. And then and Trey Madden giving you that – you know, power back with quickness, uh, who looks like he enjoys running the ball up inside. And, uh, you know, the more he gets it, the more he'll, he'll, uh, find himself in situations where, as he said, the last play, he got, he got stripped and realized, you know, I didn't have both hands protecting the ball, uh, you know, going through the line of scrimmage. And, and, you know, that just comes with, uh, with repetition, but, um, you know, you get to see those two guys and you think, you know, tailback might not be in in uh you know as difficult a situation as, as some people uh, think it is you also i think got to see for example uh barkley had a little dump off pass to uh uh you know they were in the red zone and they dumped it off from you know about the 10 yard line to curtis mcneil at, i don't know like the three or four and he made just such a beautiful one move juke and, and gone and, and, and essentially untouched in the end zone. And you realize it does matter. You know, one more year, you know, and you think, wow, where are these guys compared to where they were at this time last year? Gosh, nobody even knew almost that Curtis McNeil was back on the team. And, uh, you know, you saw Cody Kessler last year and, uh, and uh, Max Wittick as early entry, uh, you know, freshman quarterbacks in the Coliseum. And it was like, they were just overwhelmed by everything because they were still just barely, you know, knowing, you know, the names of the plays, much less all the adjustments and, you know, the intricacies and things like that. And you realize, man, these guys, they're a whole lot farther along than they were a year ago. And uh, so uh, it's kind of good to see some of that. But the fact, and you got a chance, there were only two wide receivers, but both of them got lots of work, and that's a really good thing, I think. Devon Flournoy, I think, showed us, uh, you know, some stuff, and, and Victor Blackwell keeps, uh, you know, showing us some stuff. So, uh, as you say, a George Farmer is there, you know, watching on the sidelines. I'm thinking, he's thinking, boy, uh, I better get back out there. And uh, same with, say, a guy like Buck Allen, uh, who this is his chance to, 
to show you what he can do as a running back. And, uh, you know, those are guys I think they're very hopeful are going to be back uh, Tuesday and have, have the, you know, the final three weeks. But, but I think they got – I think they're pretty good. This staff is pretty good at getting out of uh, something like Saturday everything that they can get out of it. And I think, uh, I think they did that. All right. Um, what about on the defensive side of the ball? Was there anything that kind of stood out for you? Uh, you know, we got to see Drew McAllister running around with his uh, the cast on his hand. I think he totally and clocked hitting people. Yeah, he was <laughs> and, hitting, and making. You know, I think he made makes the case that hey, you know, I I really want to play. I think we got to see, for example, uh, a guy like Wes Horton as a senior learning now really how to use his length. Uh, as he got up on uh, on that first uh, uh, first football that, that Max uh, threw and uh, tipped it up in the air, and who does it come down to? But who always seems to be in the right place? He doesn't have you know a lot of you know where people are always chanting his name. But there's Will Andrew, who just happens to always seem to be where the ball's coming down. He's there, or uh, or or McAllister, for example. So um, uh, uh, I think the the defense purposely probably tried, didn't try to do, you know, any kind of, you know, blitzing or, or real complex stuff. Uh, I thought one of the things, and then Lane talked about it afterwards, is they want to play a lot of uh, down linemen. They do not want to feel like they've got to have two starters and, uh, you know, and that's pretty much it. I think they, I think what they're, the message they're giving to the defensive tackles especially, but, but you know, the same for the defensive ends is, we're really going to rotate a lot, and we're, we want you know we want two guys at every spot minimum. And the good thing there, I think, is it signals to us that they're going to come after you. Uh, you know, you don't need to rotate quite as much if you're not going after people. Uh, so I think they're going to try to use their athleticism to take take uh, things away from people and keep doing that the whole game and not backing off and not giving up drives, not giving up third downs and things like that. I think uh, the idea that, you know, uh, there's, there are a lot of opportunities for young guys to play on this defense now, and so it's not a matter of who else is going to step up, behind, you know, besides George Yuko. It's how many of these other guys are and who's going to be in, the, you know, say a four-man rotation, at, you know, a defensive tackle. And, uh so I think that's the kind of the, the word they're given to these kids is there's, there's plenty of opportunity to play on defense, and uh, we want to see everybody, you know, that's going to be in the mix. I thought, uh, say, uh, Demetrius Wright got to play a lot. And, you know, last year he, he had won a starting spot before he got hurt, uh, you know, in August. And uh, uh, you realize, you know, there's a kid that can play. There's a kid with a lot of ability. Uh, they, they've got a lot of kids that can play. And I think what we're seeing is they're figuring out how do we play uh, a lot of guys on defense? How do we, you know, stay fresh the whole game? I, I think that's a real theme with this defense is just get out there and play really hard. I think that's why they, they jumped on George Uko so much uh, last week for, for not maybe playing hard every single play he's out there because I think the theme is, you know, if you're in the game on defense, you're going all out, and you're going to go all out as long as as we have you in there, and then we'll get we'll get somebody else in there, and we're not going to wear you out, we're not going to tire you out, but we want you to go all out, uh, and I think that's a good sign. I, I like the idea 
uh, you know, of a defense that's really going to say, we're more athletic than you are, and we're going to take things away from you all the way through the game. We're not giving you anything. We're not taking it easier, backing off. And, uh, you know, they haven't maybe quite thought they've had the numbers to do that. And I think this year they're just going to say, you know, if there's a position like tackle where, you know, where they, you know, did graduate a couple of, you know, long-term veterans and uh, they've got a lot of unproven guys, they're, they're telling them, you all have a chance and we're expecting all of you to be able to uh, play and contribute and, and play hard. And, uh, you know, I kind of like that. All right, Dan. Well, we really appreciate you coming on and sharing your insights, answering all those questions and talking about the scrimmage. We'll uh, be back at it tomorrow over at USC Spring Football. I guess it's the uh, third week, technically the fourth week, but the third week of practice. So we'll be able to see what goes on there. We'll get to somewhere around the halfway point and then keep pushing through. But we'll we'll get you on next week to get your thoughts on how this uh, Trey Madden move is gone and George Farmer coming back and all the guys coming back this week. But thanks again for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Always enjoy it. Thanks, Ryan. All right. Everyone, thank you very much for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. We really enjoy all of your questions. We hope to hear you on the podcast next week. Thank you. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.